On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Hey, welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this is episode 143. And this is your weekly look at what's coming away as far as movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from a movie, TV, or music industry. And this week is our special year-end show. It's the top 10 countdown. It's the top 10 downloaded on-screen and beyond episodes of 2010. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to hear some clips from some of the episodes, and you're also going to hear some after the fact, after the interview was done, when we chatted a little bit after. And so you get a little insight you know, what's went on, what goes on, and some little inside stories, too, that we didn't air. So it's something a little bit different. And let's see. Also, we're going to give you a chance to win Greek Chapter 5, the complete third season from On Screen to Beyond and Shout Factory. It starts next week. We're going to give you all the information it's the first week of January 2011, okay, in case you're listening to this on a podcast. Years from now, it's all over. But anyways, if you, uh, you know, that's uh, going to be your chance to win coming up. So uh, check our website, onscreenbeyond.com, for complete details on how you can win. And also we'll have it up on Facebook and, on, of course, uh, on the next show. So check out that. You're going to have a chance to win some goodies and suggestions. If you have any suggestions for who you, you would like to hear as a guest on On Screen and Beyond in the coming year, you can send it to us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. We'll try our best to see what we can do about getting that person on here. All right, well, what do you say? Let's check out what's coming your way in the month of January. That's right, it's this time of the month again. We're going to check out what's coming your way in the month of January right here on On Screen and Beyond. Please hang up and try again. Well... For the month of January, releases that are going to be remakes, look on January 14th for The Green Hornet, as it's going to be remade. And on January 28th, you can check out The Mechanic. It gets the uh, remake treatment once again, and it was originally done in 1972 with Charles Bronson. This time, it's going to star Jason Stratton. So... We'll see how that one works out. That's about it for remakes. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming away in January as far as upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming new movies, well, on January 7th, it looks like Nicolas Cage stars in Season of the Witch. And Vince Vaughn and Kevin James star in The Dilemma with director Ron Howard at the helm on January 14th. And it looks like Kevin Costner, Ben Affleck, and Tommy Lee Jones star in Company Men. And that's coming your way on January 21st. And also on January 21st, No Strings Attached starring uh, Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher. And that'll hit theaters. And on January 28th, you can look for Anthony Hopkins and Rutger Hauer as a star in The Right. It's a supernatural thriller. It's going to be coming your way. That's it for upcoming movies. Uh, sequels, guess what? There are no sequels coming your way in January. We get a breather, <laughs> okay? So uh, we're going to head right into TV on DVD coming out at you in January. It's next right here on On Screen and Beyond. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. 
FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. TV on DVD coming your way in January. Well, on January 4th, you can look for Big Love Season 4, Make It or Break It Season 1, Volume 2, and Mannix Season 4. On January 11th, look for Adam 12, Volume 1, All in the Family Season 8, Dragnet 1968, Volume 1, and it looks like ER Season 14 will be coming your way, and Greek Season 3. You're going to have a chance to win that one, too. We'll give you details next week. And Hot in Cleveland, Season 1. And Rules of Engagement, Season 4. Spin City, Volume 1. Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Season 4, Volume 2. will all be coming your way on January 11th. And on January 18th, you can look for 21 Jump Street, Season 4. Dallas, Season 14. And Dark Skies, Complete Series, coming your way. And H.R. Puffin Stuff, the Complete Series. Merlin, Season 2. And 30-something, Season 5. Those are all coming your way on January 18th. That's it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, Movies on DVD. Movies on DVD coming your way in January. Look for January 4th to bring you Dinner for Schmucks with Steve Carell and Machete with Jessica Alba. And on January 11th, you can look for Alpha and Omega with Justin Long. Legion of the Final Exorcism is coming your way. And Piranha with Elizabeth Shue is coming your way as well as The Social Network all on January 11th. And on January 25th, look for Nowhere Boy, it's about the early life of John Lennon, Red with B- Bruce Willis, Saw, the final chapter. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> the final chapter. All right, and Secretariat with Diane Ladd all comes your way on January 25th. That's about it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to look back at the past year and we're going to count down the top 10 downloaded episodes of On Screen and Beyond for 2010. We're going to play clips that you've heard, clips that you haven't heard, because we have some other stuff after the show. We talk with people, and we get a little more information. So we're going to play those special clips. And a whole lot of stuff. It's all coming your way next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. We are ready for the countdown of the top 10 downloaded episodes of 2010 on On Screen and Beyond. Now, these are the people who were guests in 2010 and which ones were downloaded the most. So get ready for this. We've got uh, 10 great guests coming your way with some of the clips that we had. So here they are. First off, at number 10, Roberta Shore was the episode 112 of On Screen and Beyond back in May. And here she is talking about being Betsy in the Virginian. Well, you know, I was put under contract to Universal uh, as a stock player, um, which I think most of the people that were in the Virginian were. Um, and, um, you know, I was like 18 years old, and they, they put me in a contract and immediately put me in this 
TV series called that was the new Bob Cummings show that was just mm-hmm. it, it only lasted like two or three series or two three yeah two three shows it wasn't uh, it wasn't well received or uh, received at all and so then after that um, you know I was asked if I could ride a horse and of course you always tell everybody yes you could do anything then you run out and take lessons because I had I really did not know how to ride a horse and then I tested. I tested, really not even hardly knowing what I was testing for, with Tony Young for The Virginian. And I don't know if you remember an actor by the name of Tony Young, very tall, good-looking man. And um, and then, you know, a short time later, um, you know, I was told that I, you know, that I had the part on, you know, on The Virginian. And, of course, I had worked with Doug before because we had done a movie called uh, Because They're Young Together, mm-hmm. and I knew yeah. Doug, but I didn't, know, I didn't know anybody else in the cast. Roberta Shore, great guest, had a lot of things to tell us about the, uh, the show, uh, The Virginian, and how she got you know, into the business and all that sort of stuff. She talks about the shaggy dog. Check that episode out. It's 112 on On Screen to Be On. You can check it out by going to our webpage, clicking on Past Shows and uh, Reruns. And let's see, coming in at number nine, it's... Hello, I'm Petula Clark, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. That's right, Petula Clark, and uh, episode 106 back in April. And uh, we talked about a lot of different things. Of course, she talked about Downtown, uh, her song Downtown and My Love, and all the other great hits that she had. But uh, one of the other things we talked about was uh, she tells us a story about John Lennon and uh, Give Peace a Chance, that song and everything. So you check that out. That's on the interview. But uh, we got a clip here where she talks about knowing the Beatles and actually meeting uh, up with Paul on the subway in London just recently. I had met them sort of, not as a group. I've met them over the years individually. I mean, I I know Paul... um, no, I saw Paul recently, actually, on, on Victoria Station in, in London. And uh, it, it was quite fun because he was going somewhere and I was going somewhere. And, and um, he was on his own, no security, and I was like, me too. Hmm. And we saw each other and we gave him a hug and we talked. And there were thousands of people going past us, you know, the rush hour at Victoria Station. like wow. Like... It's like Grand Central, you know. Yeah. And after about five minutes talking to each other, he looked at me and he said, do you realize nobody's looking at us? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, isn't that great? He said, maybe we should sing a song. <laughs> I said, no, well, which, do I sing one of yours? Do you sing one of mine? And he said, Let, let's just go and catch our train. <laughs> so. Petula Clark, thank you very much. That's right. She was here, and uh, we had a lot of things to talk about. Coming in at number eight... It's a uh, past guest. Actually, he was our first guest on On Screen and Beyond. Hi, I'm Mickey Jones, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. Tickled to be here. Mickey Jones, episode 110. Now, like I said, he was uh, also the very first guest on On Screen and Beyond, but um, he was on episode 110 back in May. And uh, Mickey's always fun to have on the show. He's a great guy, and he talked about... uh, Kenny Rogers and the First Edition's reunion and how the name of Kenny Rogers and the First Edition came about. They brought me out and said, please welcome one of the original members of the First Edition, Mickey Jones. I walked out and the place went crazy. And I said, I want to really thank you guys for remembering the First Edition. I said, I need to tell you a story that back in 1969, we were recording an album called uh, the First Edition 69. And we were 
one song short on the album, and we only had 10 minutes of studio time left. Our producer said, guys, I've got to have one more song. We've only got 10 minutes left. Do you have anything that we can just throw on the album? And Kenny piped up, and he said, well, you know, we got this old Mel Tillis song that we found on a Roger Miller album called Ruby Don't Take Your Love to Town. He said, well, let's hear it. So we kicked it off. We didn't even finish it. And he said, oh, let's cut it right now. So we recorded that song in one take with two vocal passes. It was the biggest record the group ever had. And that's how we accidentally became known as Kenny Rogers in the first edition. It could very easily have been Mickey Jones in the first edition, which I think would have been a heck of a lot better. But uh, that's how it happened, because Kenny sang lead on that particular song, and it went on to be the biggest hit the group ever had. And it was the very first record to be number one on the country charts and number one on the rock charts at the same time. That's a great story from Mickey. He's got a lot of things to tell. And uh, check out that interview. And check out the first one, too, because Mickey's always a great guest to have. And let's see. He was number eight at number seven. Hi, I'm Alicia Rulin, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. That's right, Alicia Rulin. She was episode 113 of On Screen and Beyond. She was back in May of... Uh, 2010, and we talked a lot about a lot of different things, including, of course, the high school musicals, all three she was in. She also talked about where uh, working as a, a troll in the Halloween Town film, and she talks about wearing the makeup. Now, uh, Halloween Town, I, I noticed you, I remember you were the, the pink troll or something like yeah. that. Was that getting into makeup for that? Was that difficult? Um, it was really difficult. That was the first time I ever had prosthetics, and I had fake ears and a fake nose, and they had a uh, body spray paint me hot for us and pink every day. So I was about two and a half hours in the chair, in the makeup chair, and then about an hour and a half to take it off. But after the film was done, I had a, a good month of still finding random pink particle paint all over my body, so <laughs> it was pretty funny. That's right. He was number seven. And at number six, we had a great guest, gentleman. Oh, great guy. Uh, he was in episode 109 back in May. Here he is. Hi, this is Dwayne Hickman, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. Dwayne Hickman. That's right. Dobie Gillis. He was a, a fascinating guest. Had a lot of great stories to tell us and talks about his paintings and everything. Uh, you can check out uh, the actual interview. But here's a little clip where he talks about working with John Wayne. You've worked with uh, John Wayne, right? Oh, yeah. Frank yeah, Sinatra. I did a picture called uh, uh, Tall in the Saddle, I think it was. Yes, Tall in the Saddle. That's right. Yeah. Tall in the Saddle. And I had a small little part. And he was uh, he was a charming guy. He was a nice guy, hmm. but kind of to himself. Great big man. Yeah. Gosh, about six five. Wow. And uh, I had to change my clothes uh, for the next scene. I didn't, of course didn't have a dressing room. I just had a small little part. My mother said, "Go in there and change." I said, "Well, I can't go in there. That's John Wayne's dressing room." <laughs> she said, "Well, if you just go in and quick change and come out, he won't even know." Well, sure enough, I go into his dressing room and he comes along. And sticks his head in the door and looks at me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and I said, I, I'm sorry, I was changing my clothes. He said, that's okay, go ahead and do it. And uh, then later I went up to him and I said, Mr. Wayne, I'm sorry for going into your dressing room, but my mother told me to. 
And he said, well, that's okay, kid. It won't be the last time you'll do something a woman will want you to do <laughs> that you don't want to do either. <laughs> so he, he was very pleasant. Very nice. He was with John Wayne on that one. That's a funny story. Uh, and he has a whole bunch of those in there. So check that out. And he was number six, Dwayne Hickman. Coming in at number five, we got lost in space. Hi, this is Bill Mooney, and I'll be the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. Should be good. Should be real good. So listen. Bill Mooney was episode 114 back in June. And uh, we talked about a lot of things with Bill, of course. Uh, he, he was Battleon 5. He was uh, lost in space. And he was in the Twilight Zone. And uh, his music, Barnes and Barnes, all those things. Here he talks about working with the cast and how close they were on Lost in Space. Now, were you a close cast on Lost in Space? Very close. We're still all actually very close. I see those people socially all the time. Um, I had lunch with Angela two days ago or three days ago. Oh. I talk to Marta often. I, I, I don't see Mark Goddard as often because he's on the East Coast, but yeah. I cherish the times when I do. And, and yeah, and you know, whatever, yes, we are very close. Bill Moomy, great guy, great show, a lot of great music. Check out his site for that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming in at number four, it was going back down to the little house on the prairie. Hi, this is Melissa Anderson, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. Melissa Anderson, episode 111, back in May. And Melissa had a book out, and she had a lot of things to tell us about. And uh, one of the most interesting things she talked about uh, was what she thought about working with Michael Landon. Did you enjoy working with him? I did. I did. You know, I learned a lot. I think I reminded uh, him of himself when he was young, when he was first starting out, which was, of course, you know, he was like 18 or 19 or something, but starting out as an actor. Uh, and even though I was much younger uh, starting out as an actress, I mean, I think we were very similar because we took it, we both took it very seriously. Um, and, uh, you know, I learned a lot from him. And uh, I also learned a big lesson early that, you know, people aren't perfect. And even, even you know, people you consider, you know, and you love like a big brother, I mean, you know, have their kind of bad side. Right, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, um, so I, I, I'm glad I learned that lesson. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, it was real life. And, uh, and uh, you know, it was better to learn it early than too late. That's Melissa Anderson. Of course, some of you know her as Melissa Sue Anderson, but uh, she had dropped the Sue for a while. But uh, before we started, she talked about that. And uh, she said, oh, they call me anything now. So anyways, uh, that she was number four for the top ten downloaded episodes of 2010 from On Screen and Beyond. And at number three, uh, this guy is just amazing. He had so many stories to tell. We had a nice long chat. He's in episode 100, our 100th guest. Hi, this is Dick Van Patten, and I'm the guest on On Screen and Beyond. 
That's right, Dick Van Patten. Dick was with us back in February, and uh, we got a couple of clips from uh, talking with him. Here's one where he talks about Jimmy Durante. I also noticed in your book that um, you just had a short segment where you mentioned about um, Jimmy Durante. Oh, but he, my grandfather was a very close friend of his. They grew up on Catherine Street on the Lower East Side in New York City, mm-hmm. and uh, they were close friends. And then one one day I went to Las Vegas, and he was appearing at the Dunes Hotel. And I went backstage afterwards. He didn't know me, and I said, "Would you tell that?" I said to the doorman, "I said I'd like to see Jimmy Durante." He said, "Who's calling?" I said, "Well, just tell him it's it's Vincent Cerner's grandson." And he said, "All right." And about five minutes later, he came downstairs, and he said, Vincent's, a, Vincent's a Cerner's grandson. What can I do for you? And he meant it. I think if I had asked him for anything, he would have done it. Wow. And he was so nice. What a wonderful man. Wow. They say he was one of the nicest guys in show business, you know. Dick Van Patten also worked with Charlton Heston and Edward G. Robinson in the movie Soylent Green. And here's what he had to say about that. Was it a, a good experience working with Charlton Heston and Edward G. Robertson? Oh, it was wonderful. I used to play, after that, I, I got very friendly with Charlton Heston, and we used to play tennis all the time. But I forget now whether I mentioned in the book about Edward G. Robertson. I, I, I met him, and the scene in the pictures, I had to take him to his death. I had to say, come with me, and then he followed me, and I, and I, take, him, and he, I take him to his death. And the next, that night, he really did die. The next, it was not, it's eerie, but that happened. Wow. When he was shooting Sean Green, after the last scene he had to do, he died that night. And then I remember coming to work the next day, and Charlton Heston said, I have very sad news. He said, uh, uh, Mr. Robinson died last night. We were all shocked. But it was his last scene, so, mm-hmm. you know, the picture, uh, the picture was good. I enjoyed that picture. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he was such a classic, I mean... Oh, he was very... Oh, wait, when I got to work the first day, he called me over, and he said, I hear that you worked with the Lunts, with Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine. And I said, yes. He said, well, I worked with them, too, long before I became a movie actor. He said, I worked with them, and he said, I learned a lot from them. And he said that to me, yeah. Dick also uh, worked with Mark Rydell. Now, Mark Rydell, of course, we had as a guest on On Screen and Beyond. He directed the Cowboys with John Wayne, and he's a very popular uh, director now. But um, back in the day, he was an actor also, and he actually worked on the set of uh, As the World Turns as a regular. And Dick Van Patten was the guest there. I noticed that you worked on As the World Turns with Mark Rydell. Yes. Who, of course, is now a director. Um, and Mark was, uh, I spent uh, a few days with Mark, actually, uh, yeah. last year. and uh, I made a terrible mistake on that show, too. <laughs> yes. I think I mentioned it in the book. Yes, you did. <laughs> Mark Rydell was on the show every week, and I just came in for one day to play a doctor, and I had to examine him. And I, I, I put the, you're supposed to put the thing that you hear the heart mm-hmm. in, your, in your ears. And I forgot, I left it around my neck, and I'm, I got it on his heart, and I'm saying, yes, very good. And he's trying to tell me, he's supposed to be knocked out. He's trying to tell me, put them on your ears. <laughs> stethoscope, I forgot to put the stethoscope in my ears. So I played the whole scene with it around my neck, and telling him how good his heart is going and everything. <laughs> now, that was a terrible And back there, that was live, right? But in all those years, you know, you've got to make a few mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> but that was live TV at that time, but right? Live TV, yeah. Yes. The audience must have thought I was nuts. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, you know, probably the, uh, the audience may not even have noticed. 
Well, maybe, but they were just around my neck, so let's hope they didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> Dick also uh, talked about Mel Brooks, and uh, him and Mel are friends, and I, want, I asked him about, uh, did he know him before he worked with him? Did you know Mel before you, you started working? Yes, I did. I played tennis with him. Every wow. Sunday we used to play tennis up at the Merv Griffin's house, and uh, we all used to play, and Gene Wilder and Alan Alder, it was a whole bunch of us. And one day, Mel Brooks said to me, I'm doing a new TV series, and I'd like you to play Friar Tuck. I said, what do you mean, Friar Tuck is a big, fat man? I'm not fat. He said, no, but you have a fat man's face. And he said, we compared you, we could put pillows and everything, and you'll, you'll look good, you have a fat man's face. I said, what do you mean, I have a fat man's face? He said, you have a very round face, and you could be a fat man, even though you're not. So he put, that's how it all started, from the tennis. Dick Van Patten, what a gentleman. He was such a great guest, and uh, we enjoyed hearing him. And he was the number three downloaded episode of On Screen Beyond in 2010. Coming in at number two. Hi, this is Ron Masag, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. Episode 105, back in April, and uh, Ron had a book out, and it's called uh, My Heroes from A to Z. And he, he has met so many fascinating people. He talks about astronauts he had met and, and all the, uh, the other people. And um, this one here is where he talks about Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball was one of the most gracious superstars in the history of the world. And I think that's because when she came up in the business, you know, she wasn't, she was one of the original Goldwyn girls. I mean, she didn't start out being a movie star. Mm -hmm. So she had smaller roles and smaller roles and built up. And she was just very gracious when she achieved her stardom. She knew everything there was to know about her business. She knew how to, how to do it. And Desi was a genius with the, you know, Desi was the first guy to come up with a three-camera idea and to shoot a sitcom on film where it would last. Mm. And here we are, 50, 60 years later, still watching I Love Lucy. Yeah, oh, yeah. Because of the brilliance. Yeah. And, uh, and she was just so gracious, you know. I, I took a, a couple of uh, people on, on the set one day, and she didn't know who Jerry Kramer was, an NFL Hall of Fame right mm. guard from the Green Bay Packers. Right. And they ask all those wonderful, silly questions that you always wanted to know about Lucy, but no one ever asked. Yeah. How did you get started? You know, are you a real redhead? I mean, all those things. <laughs> and she was very gracious for over an hour with him. Here's one where uh, Ron talks about uh, doing a lot of voices, and he actually uh, spent many years uh, doing the voice of a character that many people know. And here he is talking about that. Now, for years, for 15 years, in fact, you were... The stork, right? From yes, I was. the pickle <laughs> commercials. I certainly was. <laughs> so, uh, you okay? You were the one doing the um, the, the impression of uh, Groucho. Well, I was actually doing my impression of Pat Harrington's impression of Groucho Marx. Oh, okay. <laughs> Pat Harrington was the first stork. Oh, really? And when Pat got his show one day at a time, mm -hmm. he dropped out of doing that. So when they brought me in, they said, "Well, can you, you know, do this voice?" I said, "I'll come close to it." So I did. The first few years, I was doing my impression of Pat doing Groucho. And in the later years, they just wanted me to go ahead and use my voice with the Groucho reading, uh, which I did. So uh, the only thing that tastes better than a plastic pickle was another plastic pickle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in all the years of your impressions, was there a favorite person you liked in, in doing the impressions of? Well, I got to meet my whole act, which was incredible. Yeah, geez. I got to meet them. I got to meet and know Sammy Davis pretty well. I got to meet Elvis that time. Uh, Shelley Berman and I still see each other at, at different functions. I met Johnny Ray before he passed away. Uh, Joe E. Lewis in Chicago, you know, he was the, the nightclub entertainer that they did uh, 
The Joker is Wild with Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Based on his life. And he had one of those gravelly voices, you know. And he said, the doctor told me never drink anything stronger than pop. Well, that's okay, because my pop was an alcoholic. <laughs> so I got to meet them all, which, which to me just blew my mind. Bobby yeah. Darren before he passed away. It must have been a thrill. It was. It, it, and I let him know. I said, you guys got me a trip around the world. <laughs> <laughs> Shelley said, where's my, where's my commission? And, of course, we couldn't talk with Ron without talking to him about working on Murder, She Wrote. W- was that a fun set to work on? It was, it was all class. Really? Uh, I've always introduced uh, Angela at different events as the Rolls Royce of our business. I, I never saw her angry, never saw her late, never saw her unprepared. As I said earlier, in this, she's on Broadway right now in, her, in the mid-'80s, you know, yeah. performing. Uh, she's an actor's actor. And she's the best of both worlds. When she was, and she's been a star for like 60 years. Oh, yeah. Uh, but she, when she was under contract at MGM, she never had that top pecking order. It never said uh, her name first. It was Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, mm-hmm. Angela Lansbury, and, you know. So she knew what it was like not to be number one. So on her show, she never treated anybody less than, than she was treated. Always treated all of our guests with respect. I mean, she'd walk up, introduce herself, and say, Hi, I'm Angela Lansbury. Uh, welcome to the show. We do our thing, you do your thing. Every, you know, do what you feel mm-hmm. is right. And it was very gracious of her. Yeah. yeah so I, it, it was the best. I couldn't wait to get up in the morning and go to work. Uh-huh. I've never had the opportunity to, to speak with her, but uh, to interview her or anything, but she just seems to be such a, a, a class, a classy lady. Well, she is. I mean, she, and, and the best of both worlds. She's the best disciplined world. She, uh, she wound up doing uh, uh, Broadway, winning four Tonys, probably going to win her fifth. So she knew what it was like to be on time. Yeah. She knew what it was like to, to know all the words. And as I said, and you know, at, the, at MGM, she knew what it was like to treat people correctly. And Ron also talked about meeting the president and talking with him, President Bush, the first one. I'll leave you with this story, and it's a true one. Sure. President uh, Bush the first once asked me, because uh, the Reagans and the Bushes would watch Murder, She Wrote, 60 Minutes of Murder, She Wrote together mm-hmm. all the time. Wow. He finally said to me, he said, where is Cabot Cove? And I said, Mr. President, it's somewhere between Kenny Bunkport and Universal Studios. <laughs> great guy. Check his book out. It's a great book. And uh, go to his website and you can check that all out. And let's see. Coming in at number one, the most downloaded episode of On Screen Beyond in 2010, These Two Guys. Hi, I'm Cinco Paul. And I'm Ken Dario. And we're the next guests on On Screen and Beyond. That's right, Despicable Me writers. Oh, they were in episode 117 back in June, and they had so much to talk about. They were one of the hottest movies, animated movies of last year, and uh, they had uh, talked about what they're doing, their other projects. And before we got into the interview, before we were on the air, we uh, I had just finished an interview with Bill Mooney. And Bill had called me up and said, hey, can we do this now? And I said, yeah, I guess we can. And we just hurried up and did it. And then these guys were scheduled next, so I had to get back to them. So uh, it turns out that uh, Cinco and Ken were both fans of Bill Moomy. So here's what they had to say about that. What's Bill up to these days? Oh, he's got a new album coming out pretty soon. Album? Yep, he's working on one right now. And, uh, you know, we did just a general, you know, about his career and everything but uh, is it a barnes and barnes thing or uh no barnes and barnes just came out with one just recently Uh and uh, he's working on a solo one again 
Ah, another nice. solo one. So it's, uh, it's and these guys were actually so busy that uh, you know I, I had to ask them how, how do they keep up with this stuff. You guys are incredibly busy. <laughs> What's the secret? <laughs> I didn't realize how busy we were until you read the list of stuff. We're doing. It doesn't seem like that much, but yeah, it is pretty crazy right now. It's just you know it's it's nice that we found a, a niche here in these animated family comedies mm -hmm. they're, they're making a lot of them these days yeah uh, now with the animation i mean before like you say Santa, like i was saying santa claus 2 that was you know one of your first ones um but uh, horton here's who comes out and you know now your despicable me is coming out uh are we going to start seeing more i mean of course the, the lorax too but um are we going to start seeing you guys head more toward the uh animation route I think so. I think, you know, we love doing it, and, we, you know, these movies are so much fun. They're a lot of work because, you know, you keep writing on them for uh, about three years. But uh, I think we'll continue to do it, and we'll, you know, do some live action, too, as well, which, you know, Dinner for Schmucks is a very different type of movie. Mm -hmm. But I think we'll do a mix. But I think that, you know, that Hollywood loves a sure thing, and more and more these animated films are turning out to be big successes. You know, you look at the end of the year and usually three or four of the top ten movies of the year are CG animated movies. Oh, yeah. Sinko and Ken, uh, they, they both are big fans of Dr. Seuss. And I ask, how is it to write a story that deals with Dr. Seuss, a classic story, but they've got to develop it? And here's what they had to say about that. And now, Horton hears the who... Uh, Dr. Seuss, of course, and now the Lorax with Dr. Seuss. Um, is it intimidating to, you know, rather than taking something that nobody's ever seen and everything, you know, before and come up with it in your mind, is it difficult to take something that, you know, somebody like Dr. Seuss has created and make it into a, a film? Yes. <laughs> yeah. no, you, it, feel the, you feel the, the pressure because these books are so beloved, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. by hundreds of thousands of people. And, and they have this memory in their head of what it was like from their childhood. And so you don't want to mess with that. And that's the frustrating thing is it's impossible, you know, no matter, in a lot of ways, no matter what we kind of come up with, it, we're obligated to make this, you know, a bigger story than exists in the book because we're trying to make a, a, a feature film. But it's, it's really hard to compete with everyone's sort of childhood memories. Right. That's what they remember, you know, this book at, uh, as being for them. And, and it's our job to kind of come up with something that everybody likes, the people who've never read the book and people who love the book. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my uh, Cinco and I are really close to Dr. Seuss and that my absolute favorite childhood book was Horton Hears a Who. Before we got the job or anything, Cinco knew this about me. And so when we got that job, it was it was... You know, it was great because dream come it was a dream come true, and, and I was that guy who didn't want to mess up, you know, that, that book from my childhood, and so that was kind of a, a real motivation for us working on it was like, let's protect it and let's keep it as close as we can to Dr. Seuss and the spirit of what he wanted to do, but we, we also need to expand it and have fun. And Cinco's favorite childhood book was The Lorax, and so now oh. here we are diving into that world and I think we have the same objective which is like let's protect what what Dr. Seuss created and, and, and see if we can explore it and have some fun with it. 
Well, what, you know, and we had a great experience on Horton Hears a Who. There was, a, there was actually a lot of pressure on that movie because Cat in the Hat was kind of universally loathed mm-hmm. by, <laughs> by people and also by Audrey Geisel, uh, Dr. Seuss's widow. And she wanted to make sure that Horton Hears a Who, you know, was true to Seuss and, and brought people back. And we had a great moment when she first saw the movie. And at the end of it, she stood up and she just had tears actually rolling down her cheeks. Wow. She was so happy with it. And she said, I think they're, they're going to hear us this time. And so she was really happy. And because of that, I think that helped us, you know, get the, the job on the Lorax. And, and uh, I think we, we feel we're going to do a good job. And, of course, a lot of the films that uh, Ken and Cinco are doing now are in 3D. And I wondered, how is it when uh, these guys who are writing these films, how do they handle writing for 3D? Is, do they do anything special? This is what they had to say. And Despicable Me and The Lorax will both be in 3D. Uh, do you tend to write differently, you know, for those? You know, like, do you, are you going to write something in that, you know, where he throws something out at the screen or anything like that? Or Yeah, it's it's... It's tricky because you don't want to just be gratuitous and just creating things just to have things pop out at the screen. But having said that, it does allow you to think kind of outside the box, when you're, especially when you're thinking about action scenes. You know, you can think about a chase not just going from side to side across the screen, but it can come out over the audience or, you know, and you can play with, with the dimensions like that. So it does get you thinking kind of in a different way, and it kind of it, it, it gives you more to work with when you're specifically when you're writing action scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you want to take advantage of it. There's kind of a mandate, you know, use the three, 3D, but as Ken said, you want to use it in an organic way, in a way that pluses the movie, doesn't take you out of the movie. Yeah. But, but Especially if you're watching it not in 3D. You don't right. want those moments where it's clearly, oh, that was meant for 3D, but we get the 2D version. You know, you don't want to yeah. do that. So it is. You want to make it as organic as possible, but, but it, it makes you think in different ways. How can we take advantage of this big you know, piece of air over the audience's head, because yeah. now we can use that. And that about wraps it up. That is the number one downloaded episode of On Screen and Beyond. It was episode 117, back in June with Cinco Paul and Ken Durio. And we appreciate them taking the time to talk to us. It was fascinating stuff to hear, uh, the behind-the-scenes type stuff. <laughs> And 2011, we're looking for some more great guests coming your way. We'll uh, have that uh, next week right here at On Screen and Beyond with a new guest, and it's all going to be coming your way soon. So stick around. I'm Brian Zumrak. Take care. (laughs) 